You're listening to WRBB News, a collaboration podcast and radio show between WRBB Radio and the Huntington News, both part of Northeastern University. I'm the co-host, Bella, and I'm Grace. This week, we have a couple stories from our Huntington News writers, the first one being about Northeastern University's um, refusal to divest from companies that do business with the Israeli military and the other story about the closing of a Walgreens in Roxbury. For the first story, we have Eli Kerwin here to talk about Emily Spatz's story. Eli, can you just give us a brief rundown on this story and, you know, what we got here? Yeah, so following weeks of student, I guess months of student protests um, and demands, a whole series of organized actions, um, the university on February 14th said that it would not divest its endowment holdings or sever ties with companies who do business with the IDF. And what was Northeastern's reasoning behind that decision? This article stemmed from uh, FAQ um, response, uh, FAQ answer um, to the questions, will Northeastern sever its ties with corporations that do business with the Israeli military, and will the university commit to divest endowment holdings in these companies? Um, and so there are two different questions here. For the first, for the first one about severing ties, this is specifically related to companies that Northeastern has relationships with. Northeastern, of course, with the co-op program has to have close relationships with companies so that students can work there. And in in their response or a- answer to this FAQ, they said that they are they're not going to limit employer options for students. Um, they wouldn't impose a political test on employers. So. They're essentially saying here that, you know, we have all these relationships with different companies and we need them for our students to be successful. Um, This is what they're saying. And so that they're not going to sever those ties just because um, what what they say, like, we hope that students who have strong political viewpoints would not try to impose their views um, in a way that limited opportunities for classmates. So that's the answer to the first question. And then in terms of their endowment, which has been a, a long-term, I guess, issue for students on campus, um, outside of just the Israel-Gaza conflict, um, Northeastern said essentially that due to the types of holdings they have in companies, which are called commingled funds, um, which don't have like they don't have direct investments into certain companies, um, they can't. They, they said that they cannot, you know, directly divest because they don't have direct investments. And then in addition to that, they also gave like reasoning that that said that they should not use their endowment as a political tool or to serve political agendas um, to weigh in on matters on which reasonable people can disagree. That last part there um, upset a lot of students. Um, For those who believe that Israel is perpetuating a genocide, reasonable people can disagree is not, you know, a great thing to answer with. Yeah. And the specific companies uh, that were named in some students' demands were military industrial companies like Raytheon and General Dynamics, right? Okay. Um, Grace, do you have any questions? Yeah, it kind of going back to how they labeled it as kind of like a, they didn't want to make a political statement. Mm -hmm. Do you think in an effort to maintain neutral, they're kind of, um, it's kind of a political statement? I don't even I think politics is the best word to describe it, but they're kind of making their own sort of statement by maintaining neutrality. But I don't know if you could call it neutrality either. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what we're seeing from students is by, you know, not taking either of these steps to, to you know, back away from Israel, um, 
students are seeing this as a political decision, regardless of the fact that the university isn't changing any policy, they're just maintaining. Um, but the, the lack of changing a decision to many students um, can be seen as a political decision. And just to zoom out for a little bit, uh, actually the first episode of this podcast, we had you guys on um, to talk about your coverage uh, with the Israel-Gaza uh, conflict and the Huntington News coverage to student reactions to that. Mm-hmm. So as you know, this is however many months, like four months later, what have you seen evolve and change? And I guess just how how, how has your work kind of adapted to this ongoing conflict? Yeah, so over the past few months, we've seen several dozens of protests um, from students calling calling out Israel for its actions in Gaza. And then also um, students supporting Israel, you know, they're hosting people with ties to Israel in events and stuff like that. Um, so I guess over the past few months, our coverage has maintained its stayed kind of with what's going on. There were three students who were suspended, who were placed on deferred suspension a few months ago. And we knew before anyone else did because we had we kind of been following and looking into the university's responses but um so so our mindset when we go about covering this conflict is as i said in october and i'm saying it now that we're here to uplift student voices and make sure that anyone who has a a view on this conflict that you know that their view has a place here because there's oftentimes in a conflict like this, many people aren't able to express their viewpoints, especially those who are most directly affected by the conflict. Um, and we've really worked hard to make sure that you know all students, all viewpoints have a place at this paper um, in our coverage to express their views. How have you seen um, public opinion change, like whether on campus or just more broadly as you've been informed? Um, how have we seen public opinion change on campus about this conflict? I would say that the general themes of the the campus climate, the general like what we've seen is has stayed the same. I would say over mm-hmm. the past few months, the direct calls and actions have changed. When the few students were first charged, there were several protests calling on the university to drop those charges. When the students were then placed on the first suspension. Many students said that Northeastern was, you know, suppressing Palestinian voices. And so like the, the specifics of what students are saying, what they're calling for has has changed, but the intensity, the, the level of action we're seeing on campus hasn't changed. Just, you know, this week we saw teach-ins, we saw letter writing campaigns. There, there have been continued and escalating actions over the past few months. It, like which like as the weather gets bad even like you would you would somewhat expect that when it's snowing when it's freezing and windy like these actions to calm down a bit but we've only seen escalation have we seen in that vein have we seen northeastern administrations response evolve at all so i guess a, a good way to answer this question is to go back to the initial right. response so northeastern i guess the president president Aoun, um and other I think it was Madigan and Henderson, but I'm I'm not 100 percent sure on that. Mm-hmm. They released a statement um, early on in the conflict, condemning Hamas's attacks and mourning for all the innocent lives lost in Gaza and Israel. I believe that was on October 10th. Um, since then, the university has not released another official statement. They've directed all communication 
of this conflict outside of they've directed all communication of this conflict to this faq um article outside of an, a northeastern global news article every now and then about you know the, the actual nuances and facts of the conflict but that's not necessarily related to on-campus student reactions i think almost from the beginning uh you guys have mentioned and just more generally i've heard about it that uh pro-palestine uh students or just you know members of the public have feared uh reprisal or whatever from you know authority figures whether that be a campus administration or you know even the social media attacks things like that and actually since we share a class together you mentioned just today that uh some protester that protesters that you've talked to do ask to um you know have their names struck from the record when you as huntington news talk to them um has that been a consistent thing throughout all your coverage and you know in terms of the students that were suspended could you also talk more about that yeah so our policy for anonymity is essentially we need to be able to first verify who you are you, you can't be anonymous to us because then we have no way of confirming the information you're telling us um after that right if we discuss and, and agree that there is a reasonable um and real chance that you could face retaliation or you know punishment from an institution in this case the university um we're likely to grant anonymity it's our responsibility as journalists to you know reduce harm as much as we can um so you know when students come to us and and, and say that you know we're worried that if we talk to you we'll be punished by the school we're understanding of that because with these three students although it's not that they were talking to us that they got punished there is a a real concern that by students calling out the university that there's a chance that you know they could face retaliation um specifically for the three students who were placed on deferred suspension on december 1st um huskies for free for free palestine which is a unofficial organization i'm not like officially seen by the camp like um authorized by the university Mm -hmm. um held a sit-in in curry um for a few hours from our reporting a lot of this there were a lot of chants a lot of singing there were we have pictures there were people making posters people writing poems um and there were banners put up um but what we saw that what happened was there were students there were three students specifically who the university considered to be you know protest leaders and that that was the from this is what we heard from the the suspended students um that they consider them to be leaders of the of the sit-in and because the sit-in did not necessarily comply with several several university protocols when it comes to protests and demonstrations those three students were placed on deferred suspension with that decision do you think it was to possibly politically targeted or is that a typical thing to happen whenever you know some specific like meeting rules are broken on campus i mean i'm not in a place to speculate like i wasn't in the hearings i don't necessarily know what happened but what we do know is what happened at the sit-in and then what the students were charged with um the, the university and the university i guess according to like hfp people and and posts on instagram said that you know they were charged with this uh, I, I don't remember off the top of my head but it's mentioned in the article uh, okay. 
three to four charges and then like in the hearings those charges are discussed there, there is an appeal process i don't i don't think we have any reporting on that or know any status of that but i'm not in a place to say whether or not okay. these were politically charged has the university directly addressed the protests rather than just like at here like have they made statements about student um like demonstrations that sort of thing or is it more of um trying to privately handle it in a way by hitting students with these charges yeah so the university in this faq um that i mentioned before first announced that they would be um giving these three students giving i guess what they said a, a few students disciplinary action um but they aren't going they, they it's it's against school policy to provide details as to what the charges are to who the students are um it's all handled by oscar so like that all that information is maintained like completely confidentially uh but like i think you you may have met i don't want to put words in my like has northeastern addressed the broad student demonstrations besides um the statement on october 10th and i guess aside from the disciplinary action stuff uh, from their uh, refusal to divest from the companies, like aside from those actions, have they spoken at all um, about you know pro Palestine, pro Israel, what have you, protests on campus? Like, have they been? My, yeah, my, my immediate reaction, my immediate response is no. Whenever we ask, like, do you have a response to this to X protest, we're redirected towards this FAQ, um, and I think that kind of goes back to the point I made before that these protests like have been similar and have continued for a while. So I don't think the university, um, this is just my speculation, but I don't sure. think the university necessarily sees a reason to provide additional statements when everything, when all of their responses are laid out here, like what they have here is that, you know, like, did we release a statement? Yes. Like what are our views on anti-Semitism and Islamophobia? What are our views on protests in general? Um, how are we facilitating a peaceful dialogue? All of our questions are then directed towards here um, as kind of a catch-all for all the protests that, that have occurred on campus. Why do you think that um, Northeastern has chosen to acknowledge this demand, I guess, and how long did it take them to do that? So this specific demand was actually answered, or I guess responded to pretty quickly. So there was a letter drop, an official letter drop, by um, students, um, pro-Palestine students on February 8th, and then this was posted on February 14th. Okay. Do you know why it was so quick? I guess because it was more specific. Um, so, yeah, you? like, I'll be like my limited view of the history of, like, student actions. Like, when letters are dropped off, we usually see a response. Okay. It's, it's I, this happened with the No Hungry Huskies campaign. There was an official letter drop, and they received word from the university that changes, like, that they, they, they would work with the students, right? And, and I guess other times, right, when people, when, when the students demanded the university divest from fossil fuels, right, the university addressed that in a faculty senate meeting and they provided additional information in a Northeastern Global News article. So I think from what we've seen, the questions either need to be like directly asked of the university or like formally and officially dropped off in letters or demands. Okay, interesting. Do you have any main takeaways um, or any possible speculation as to how um, this is going to like continue to unfold on campus? Do you think that um, 
I don't know, maybe the pro-Palestine groups will keep um, demanding about like the divestment. Will they kind of back off and shift to something else? Um, is there anything that you can predict or possibly speak to? I can't necessarily say like I know a hundred percent sure like what sure is going to happen next. But from like what we've seen the past few months, there, there's been no slowing down of these protests or actions, right? As I said, like this past week, that we saw a teaching, um, a letter, a letter writing drive. I think similarly, like as the issues specific to this campus change, um, when Northeastern released, if Northeastern were to release like additional information about specific. I guess things related to this conflict, right? I think then we would see that the content, what were the, the specific demands, I think we would see those change. But there, there's been no nothing to indicate that the the level of intensity or the protests would necessarily slow down. And we're also seeing like the city of Boston at large, not just on Northeastern's campus. There there have continued to be protests um, in Roxbury and City Hall. Um, there have been official resolutions passed in somerville and cambridge as a result or likely as a result of ma like mass action calling for these cities to do so and i think with that like when, when that pressure works at these at those these governmental institutions there's no reason to expect that anything would stop or slow down at northeastern's campus if the conflict continues with its kind of current trajectory um when it comes to these kinds of decisions where um, Northeastern's financial interests are weighed against, you know, political or humanitarian or what have you, student demands. You know, is there any reason to think that, you know, months down the line or whatever, Northeastern would give way in any aspect? I know you, we've established that most likely student protesters are still going to continue in the same vein. Um, are there any competing interests besides financial um, for Northeastern to consider, I guess, in this regard. There, there's been nothing to indicate that or that otherwise. Like, it, from what it seems like, Northeastern is just going to continue to hold their endowment the way it is and, and not sever ties, especially with a, a statement as specifically answered as this one. This is a pretty clear, like, firm policy that they're mm -hmm. setting. It doesn't, there, there's no indication that something like this would change. Like, historically, what we see is that when universities risk losing donors or risk losing like financial health then we see change that's happened at, at harvard where there's like because of donor pressure the university is reported to be adopting like a policy of institutional neutrality which is almost like at least as the crimson reported a direct result of um donor pressure but we're not seeing anything like that he here the university is in as good a financial shape and admission shape as it has ever been. Um, so there's no indication that like, I guess for the university, if, if it isn't broken, like don't like don't change anything, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, makes sense. All right, you have any last questions, Grace? Um, kind of just, it looks, it seems like the university, I don't know if you can kind of confirm this, but the university seems to just hope it, to hope that this conflict will sort of die down or a resolution will be made. Um, but do you think at a certain point they're going to have to speak? I guess we kind of spoke on this already, but um, as the conflict is not slowing down at this point, it's only escalating. So do you think at a certain point the university will be forced to make a more direct statement, I guess? I think if, you know, 
first, like, I guess, like, my first answer to that question is, like, if the conflict continues on its current trajectory, um, as I said kind of before, there's no indication that, like, these, like, the student response is going to change. There's likely no, nothing that could change the university's response. Um, from what we've seen, I know, like, like pressure campaigns have worked in the past in other, at other organizations, um, but as I said, like, that's only in the case where, like, the, the institution's wallet is, like, damaged but this that's not the case here um northeastern's operating revenue um all their like their financial health is only getting better um if the conflict like as the conflict continues i guess like there, there's no indication that anything is going to change and i guess if students here come up with a, new, a set of demands that the university hasn't directly responded to yet regarding something else um then we might see additional statements from the university. But if these protests remain kind of the, the way that they are demanding divestment and um, like calling on the university to release additional statements, I don't think we're going to see any, um, and this is once again my speculation, but I don't think we're going to see any um, change of course from the school. Yeah. All right, thanks so much for coming in, Eli. Thank you. Thank you. And now we have Emily Niedermeyer in the studio here to talk about the closing of a Walgreens in Roxbury. Uh, Emily, could you just give us like a brief rundown of your story and a little bit about its significance and I guess why I chose to cover it? Yeah, so um, the story is about a, a Walgreens in Roxbury that closed on January 31st. It was originally slated to close on before Martin Luther King Jr. Day, but then Due to community leader efforts, um, they pushed it back two weeks later. Um, it's a big cornerstone in the community because in 2022, three other um, Walgreens locations had closed and three neighborhoods surrounding um, Roxbury. Um, so community members really relied on it um, to get their medications, to get you know anything that you could get at a drugstore. Uh, with the relo or like with the closure of this Roxbury location, did they offer like an alternative? Um, location that they were going to send the medication for people who um, already relied on this Walgreens. Yeah, so Walgreens um, changed all of the prescriptions that were originally at the Warren Street location to Columbus, which is a mile away, which is about a 20-minute walk, which in retrospect isn't super far, but it's about a mile, which for many community members who relied on the Warren Street Walgreens is quite far, especially the seniors who live close to there. Um, there's a dialysis, dialysis center right next to Warren Street. There's a senior community senior center right nearby. Um, so a lot of sen um, seniors relied on that. And just the community members, you know, walking um, 20 minutes out of the way is, you know, timely. Um, and that really affects them on the day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I think that's really interesting just because I think we, um, as like, you know, relatively young Northeastern students kind of take it for granted um, you know, walking 20 minutes one way longer than that is like, at least for me, uh, is, I, don't, I don't even think twice about it. Um, but yeah, I think there is uh, a little bit of ageism maybe at play here where um, seniors that do rely on this centrally located pharmacy um, it creates a big problem. And I think further down in the article, you mentioned uh, the concept of pharmacy deserts in primarily black and brown communities. Could you speak a little bit more about that? So pharmacy deserts, it's derived from the term food deserts, which from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, 
it's about areas where medications are hard to acquire. Um, so studies, you know, national studies have found that the number of pharmacies is statistically lower in primarily black, indigenous, and other people of color communities. Um, and, you know, we're seeing that in Roxbury. Um, the three um, neighborhoods where it closed, the Walgreens locations closed in 2022, it was Roxbury, Mattapan, and then Hyde Park. Those are primarily black and Latino communities. Um, so we're really seeing that, and they're also low income. So it's really affecting those neighborhoods, whereas in primarily white neighborhoods, we're not seeing that issue. Um, are there any like broader causes? I mean, clearly uh, there's a correlation between you know race, class, um, and these pharmacy deserts. Do we know anything about like the reasoning on the part of you know companies like Walgreens? Is it just like you know? strictly financial like if they're not making enough money in a certain area it just closes and it's not like a deliberate thing or is it something i guess more malicious if that's you know at all realistic um i don't know enough to speak on that um i did not speak to a walgreens representative um some of the sources that i spoke to mentioned that you know walgreens had the front of saying there's too much theft at these stores whereas they think it's not the case but um I don't know enough to answer that question. And a major problem, I think, is that there wasn't enough notification, right? That mm -hmm. it, there was only originally going to be one week before they closed, and they now want to give a city ordinance that uh, pharmacies give at least a 90-day notice before closing. Um, is there any specific reasoning to that? Is it just so that... Um, you know, older or disabled customers can, like, make new travel plans and such? Yeah, I would imagine. I mean, you know, even getting any notification is just common courtesy, at least I would say. Um, so when, you know, Danielle Williams, who I spoke to, she found out about the closure two weeks before she was coming back from, a, like, vacation in early January. Um, you know, Hogan's, who I spoke to, she also said she didn't really receive a notification, heard about it through the grapevine of the community. So I would say it's, you know, just a common courtesy of corporations like that, especially when they're such an anchor in the community, when, you know, people rely on that every day. Um, yeah, Prophetic Resistance Boston is working on city ordinances that um, will force those businesses to provide that notification. I would say yes for travel plans, plans. Um, so community members can become adjusted so they know where they need to go so they don't show up to that pharmacy the day after it closes, find out now they don't know where they're supposed to get their life-saving medications. Um, and they're also thinking, you know, this is something that could expand statewide, nationally. Uh, this is pretty interesting. Um, it, in, the, in your article, it says that uh, Senators Ed Markey, Elizabeth Warren, and Congresswoman Ayanna Presley sent a letter to Walgreens CEO Tim Wentworth asking them to keep the location open. Um, I think at first glance, at least for me speaking, I guess, from a privileged perspective, like I wouldn't have automatically assumed that like, oh, like, you know, location's closing. Uh, but I wouldn't have guessed that there would actually be, you know, our state senators reacting to this and really kind of joining the community's call to keep it open or at least, you know, give more notification in the future. Um, all that is to say, why do you think that is that um, the state's politicians have taken notice of this issue when it might seem like to some people like it's a minor thing? Um, I think that's 
a lot in part, you know, we can thank the community leaders' efforts for that. They were the ones who organized the protests, sent emails, called their representatives. Um, but I think it also speaks to the impact that this Walgreens had on the community. Um, so many people relied on it for, like I said, like life-saving medications, getting, you know, snacks, getting, I don't know, stuff to do laundry. Like, I think it speaks to the reliance that many people in the community had um, on the location. Yeah, and it says that Mayor Wu was also talking about implementing, like, a locally owned pharmacy. Um how likely i don't know not necessarily how likely but do you know if there have been any actual steps taken so far um to like i guess yeah implement a measure like that there hasn't been to my knowledge there hasn't been actual steps i think it's more like the city is looking into that because you know now there is an empty location there um a lot of the community leaders that I spoke to support putting a local ph- pharmacy in there, you know, a mom and pop pharmacy um, that the community can really rally around. So to what I've seen so far, Mayor Wu has not taken any actual steps towards that, but I'm sure there's talks behind the scenes. Um, do you think that this awareness, uh, to whatever extent that it's been building, with you know the issues of pharmacy deserts, whether in Boston or in other places, do you think that's going to lead to um, actual solid change happening sometime in the future? Um, yes, I would hope so. Um, Ayanna Presley spoke on the floor of the U.S. House of Representatives, um, so you know it's getting widespread coverage, and I also think that this is a trend that we're seeing across the United States. Um, so I would hope that. You know, closures like this, the efforts of community members and leaders would bring, you know, some sort of change. And I guess just shifting back to you as a journalist, um, what motivated you to pick up this story? And or I guess, why did you take a particular interest in this article? I actually work in Roxbury. Um, I feel like I'm kind of a part of the community, even though I don't necessarily live in that neighborhood. I live one neighborhood over. Um but I've been in that Walgreens and I know, you know, the neighborhood and I know the people that live in the neighborhood. Um, so, you know, even just speaking to the people that I found for the story, it's obvious that they care. It's obvious that they're affected. Um, and I think that that's the power of journalism to bring, bring voice to that um, and to give a voice to the people that are taking action in their community about things that they think are wrong. And um, I know you just said, like, you've been in this Walgreens before. Before you picked up this story, did you know it was closing? Like, was this something you pitched yourself? Or did someone else um, pitch the story and you just were kind of drawn to it? Because, like you said, you feel like you're part of the community. Yeah, I had found out about its closure. It must have been through the grapevine, like I said. Like, I didn't hear any official press conference or any official announcement um and then i had found out from an editor from hunt news that someone had pitched the story but it hadn't been taken up so i decided to you know look into it see if i could follow through and i did yeah honestly you did a great job on this story no, this I mean, is a great story <laughs> like, <laughs> like this is just very well reported um you know like the specific talking to local community members referencing you know different concepts things like that and like blah 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 i don't know i think you, you just did a great job on the story so Thank you. props to you for that 
Yeah, I love the mention. We talked about it a little bit already, but about the pharmacy desert because um, we haven't really seen people talk about pharmacy deserts. It is like a big focus on food deserts because I think that is more of, wouldn't necessarily say a buzzword, but like it is just a term that more people are familiar with. So, yeah. All right. Uh, thank you so much for coming in, Emily. Thank, thank you. you. All right. Thank you so much. This has been WRBB News.